Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's great to see all of you here today. and As always, a privilege to preach the Word of God to you and to those who are joining us online and to those of you who may be listening to us later on a podcast. Let me say to you that you are not here, wherever here is for you right now, hearing these words. You're not here by accident. If you're here and you're going to hear the word of God, God wants to speak to you today. And he will speak to you. The key is, are we listening? And so what we want to do is start off here today. Let's, let's go to the Lord and, and just um, express this willingness, desire to listen to what he has to say. Father, we do come before you and we thank you for your word, that it is per- perfect, it is sufficient, it addresses uh, the things that we need to know and understand to live lives that honor you and our blessings to us. So I pray today, fathers, that we will open our hearts and minds to you and listen for you to speak to us uh, in general ways, but also in specific ways, Father. And I pray that the attitude of our hearts, that we might right now, on purpose, settle it, that we will say yes to you about whatever you would speak to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had anything happen in your life that you had a real hard time getting over? You know, it could just be bad stuff that happens in your life. It could have been ways that somebody treated you. Um, it could be big things that a lot of people knew. It could be something that nobody else is aware of or knows. And, and you find yourself you know, thinking, I ought to be over this. But yet it just keeps coming back up. And, and you, you know, maybe you push it down or you try to change something, but it just keeps coming back and won't let go of you. And, and now, so let me say, say right up front here, I'm not talking today about you know, major trauma. Or, or like things that lead to PTSD, that kind of thing. I mean, what we're going to talk about today could be a part of that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just that stuff that, that just doesn't let go. So, something happens, uh, you know, later, and, and all of a sudden these emotions come up, and you say, where did these things come from? It's like your elevator's already at floor eight in a 10-floor building, and someone pushes the button to go up six floors, and what do you do? Bang, you're hitting the top and you're, and it's not necessarily you're out exploding out here, but it's just how you feel. And, and you can't, you just can't get away with it, away from it, I should say. Um, and those kinds of things happen to us. And, and it seems like that once we're there and we're struggling, we're pushing it down, that it doesn't take a whole lot to bring it back up. It's there. And it comes up. So, have you been there? Are you there? It's not surprising that we find ourselves there again from time to time, different issues maybe, and in, in trying to see ourselves overcoming these things. Well, that's what we want to look at today in this chapter of Proverbs that we're going to consider. 
In this chapter, it deals with a bunch of stuff about words and, and you know, what we, how we speak and why we speak and what comes out and all that kind of stuff. In fact, very, very famous uh, proverb. You've either heard it or I'm sure you've experienced it. It says, um, a soft answer turns away wrath or turns away anger, but harsh words do what? Stir it up, right? We've experienced that, haven't we? You know, somebody gets mad and goes off, and if you can say, hey, wait, I'm sorry, what's, you know, I want to, usually that'll help calm it down, but if, if they give it to you and you give it right back, it gets worse, doesn't it? Okay, so it tells us about that and lots of other things about it. Uh, this chapter of Proverbs also talks uh, a bunch about how important it is that we be willing to be corrected. That we be willing to look and say, wow, this needs to change. We need a humility about that because if we don't have that, we set ourselves up for things just to get worse and worse and worse. And so really important about that. Um, But those things aren't what God really brought me to this week in this chapter. Uh, Another thing that's covered in there, it talks about how God feels about uh, righteousness and wickedness. He talks a lot in this chapter about that and really important stuff, but it's just not what God has brought me to for us to consider today. It goes on and talks about uh, righteousness and riches and, and anger and laziness and the importance of wise counsel, all those things in this chapter. There's a lot of great stuff in this chapter, but once again, those aren't the things that the Lord brought me to. Two summers ago, uh, I had an experience that is still strange in my mind. I was over here at Eller's Restaurant, and we had a parenting class that met there in that back room, and I was teaching the parenting class. And I'm standing there, and we're having discussions and conversations, and all of a sudden I get this really strange feeling like I'm here, but I'm not here. Okay? And then I'm kind of feeling lightheaded, Right? And so, with conversation going on and being, you know, this experienced communicator that I am, I don't let on. So I just kind of wander over to the table and, and get close to a chair because I said, if I'm going down, I'm going to sit. And it's up and down, it's up and down. So I made it through. Uh, without going into all the details, before all is said and done, there's an ambulance at Eller's restaurant to take me to the hospital because what's going on, I'm having... Uh, ventricular tachycardia and apparently my heart was beating like 13 beats in 4 seconds and just doesn't work well, right? And I can't believe this is happening. So I'm on the phone with my doctor and he said, yeah, they sent the ambulance and, and uh, I said, well, can't my wife just take me? <laughs> At first he said, yeah. Yeah, okay, that'll work. And he said, you know what? Wait, no. I don't want to do that because something really bad could happen. And I'd hate for her to be in that position. And that's when it really started to dawn on me that what's going on here is serious, right? This is serious. And so, so I got to ride in an ambulance. That's an experience. Laying down, head, and then all the stuff going on. And I got there, and they gave me some medication in the ambulance, and I got there, and by the time I was there, the medication had, had settled everything down. I spent two days in the hospital, and trying to figure out what was going on, having the uh, catheterization, and going and looking at the heart, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, all said and done, two years later, I'm, I haven't had it happen again. And they did prescribe some medication to help prevent that, or hopefully prevent that. But I learned something, and that is that the condition of your heart eventually takes over everything else in your life. 
right? It didn't matter how I was feeling about, hey, I'm cool, I'm going to weather this, I'm going to be fine, you know. Then it took over. And in this chapter of Proverbs, what we see is that God talks about our hearts, not our physical hearts, but the idea of our, our soul, that inner part of us, our hearts. And he talks about our hearts and how it controls so many things and why the condition of that heart is so important for us to focus in on and pay attention to. And, and this shouldn't surprise us. Earlier in the book of Ch Proverbs, chapter 4, it says, keep your heart, guard, protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. You see what I'm saying, right? In other words, pretty much everything in your life has a heart component to it. And so in Proverbs chapter 15 today, we want to look at and talk about how's your heart doing. Proverbs chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick one up under the chairs there and turn to page 741. That's where we'll be starting here today. And uh, we're not going to take time to read the whole chapter. We'll just focus in on these verses that are key verses to what we're talking about here today. So let's look in verse 7. It says, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Look at verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. All right, so let's go back here, verse number seven, and, and work our way through this a little bit. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Now, in the book of Proverbs, if, if you've noticed it, 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 uh, it presents these sayings uh, r regarding wisdom in ways that's intended to make us think about things and try to figure things out. And so it uses comparisons. And, and sometimes it'll talk about this is this way, but this is that way. This is this way, but this is that way. Uh, but other times it uses things that are... are um, they call it parallelism. In other words, it'll make this statement and make this statement and this part parallels this part. And in that parallel, we look at that, we need, we, there's some things we can learn, okay? So let's look here in verse seven again. So it says, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Are we talking here about lips or hearts? Because this is a parallel idea. We, we are talking about the same thing, and yet the author, the first part of the verse talks about lips, and uh, then down the next part talks about hearts. So what's going on here? And actually in verse 28, it's very similar. The heart of the righteous, heart comes first, studies how to, to answer, but the mouth, see heart and mouth, lips, heart. So these things are parallel. So what, what is going on there? Well, what it's saying is that there is an inseparable connection between what's coming out of your mouth and what's going on in your heart. They are absolutely connected, okay? And so that brings us to the first, first truth I want you to understand here this morning. What's in your heart eventually comes out of your mouth. 
Now, if you stop and ponder that, that could be a pretty scary thing, couldn't it? Because I bet there's things in your heart that you just soon didn't come out of your mouth. But we're really on, in, in strong uh, territory here when we make this point. What's in your heart eventually comes out of your mouth because Jesus said in Matthew 15, he said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from where? Come from the heart. And they defile a man. What's in the man's heart? is much more important than what he says. And the reason is, is because what he says is a reflection of what is going on in the heart. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation, in a conversation, maybe it was a little tense or whatever, and all of a sudden you said something? You're just like your mother. And as soon as you said it, you knew what? No, no, no. I didn't mean that. Try to pull it back. But it came out. And you, you might say, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I really, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That's not true. You did mean it. You meant it somehow, some way. Now, maybe in the details, maybe, you know, you were kind of angry and you said the things harsher than they needed to be. But the reality is there was something in your heart about this issue that did what? Made its way out. Okay? And so, rather than trying to deny, that's not what I meant, that's not what I meant. Well, you meant something. What? Yeah, I did mean something. You need to say, you know what? I, I certainly didn't mean to say it that way. I, and it doesn't exactly express what I'm feeling, but the reality is I do have some feelings about this that came out, and we need to talk about it. Okay, so but that's, it's, it's what's coming out of your heart. By the way, this is why when you're raising your children and bad words come out of their mouths, bad things come out of their mouths. Have you ever had your little one, uh, you know, something happens and let's say something falls and breaks or whatever and they look up and smile and they go, oh, blankety blank blank. <laughs> and you don't talk that way. You say, what in the world is going on? You know, and you're, oh, eh. well, lots of times. Little kids, they don't know what they're saying, so right? They just heard it, it's cool, they think, and say it. So you can address that. But I'm talking about when our children are saying things, uh, it's so easy, and I, I think I was guilty of this more times than I should have been. It's very easy to deal with the problem of what was said and say, that's not what you're supposed to say. You don't talk like that. If you talk like that, and then some sort of plan. And I think what needs to happen is we need to say, okay, wait, this was said. Why was it said? It was said because something is what? Going on in the heart. And what I need to do is let my child or now grandchild is engage with them about what's going on in your heart. And that doesn't mean you don't say, hey, that's not something you say. But you're like, I hate you. You're so mean to me. Or whatever. And, and once again, children, they may not be getting all the details right, but what, what's in their heart and what they're feeling is what? Coming out. And so this truth that what's in our hearts eventually comes out our mouths can help us to, to start to figure out what's going on in my life. What's going on in my child's life. Or if somebody else is the one who expresses to you. You know, you can get really mad about what you're hearing or you can recognize what? Wow, there's something going on in their heart that's coming out. And so it gives you some real wisdom and insight into what is going on with yourself 
and with others. So remember that our words are an expression of what's going on in our hearts, and so we ought to focus on the root problem, the heart, and not so much on the symptoms, because if we fix the root problem, the symptoms go away. Okay? All right, let's, let's look in verse 14. It says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. So again, we have this heart and mouth kind of thing going on, although I think it's making a little different point. But let's look at this. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. And so when it says understanding, and when Proverbs uses these words, oftentimes there's many interchangeable words you could use. Understanding, who seeks wisdom, who, who uh, wants to be perceptive, wants to be prudent, all these kind of things. So, but a heart that's governed by wisdom then seeks knowledge but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. In other words, they aren't looking for knowledge, they aren't looking for truth, they're looking for whatever's suiting them. And the reality is in almost every situation in life, there's truth the way it really is, which as we said, that's, God sees that, right? That's wisdom. Truth the way it really is, and then the way we want truth to be. Anybody ever like me like that, that you wish the truth was different sometimes? I mean, when I really stop and think logically, I don't. But there's times I feel like I wish the truth is different. By the way, this is, isn't this why people fudge things and, and tell little white lies and sometimes big lies? Because they don't want this truth to be the truth and govern. They want something else to govern. Well, it says the wise person doesn't do this. See, second thing is this. A wise heart desires truth. A wise heart desires truth. You know, I gotta tell you, if I, I do not wanna go to the doctor and have him tell me I have cancer. Anybody else? I don't wanna go to the doctor and have him tell me I have cancer. But you know what? If I have cancer, I hope I go to the doctor and he tells me that I have it. Because I really know, what do I need to know? I need to know I have it so that I can start to do something about it. The truth is always what we need. And I would also say to you that this tells us something here, and that's that, that wisdom and understanding and all these kinds of things are not just intellectual issues. They aren't just intellectual issues. Because if they were, we would say, you know, the mind of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. The brain of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. No, it's the what? Heart. You see, because what you think and how you look at things affects the disposition of your heart toward those things. And I would say the disposition of your heart toward something affects how you interpret what you are seeing. And so we get this whole circle going on with what's in the heart. And so it is so crucial that we say, okay, I gotta find truth. I gotta find truth, not just how I'm feeling about it or what's going on. And by the way, it's going to become a really important issue in, in a, a little while when we look at something else. Uh, but this is why a counselor who, who I spent some time with and, and developed a good friendship with, uh, he has a form that you have to fill out and answer questions and stuff before you um, go to see him. And as you, you read down the questions, oh yeah, you understand why that's this. And then he asks a question, he says, are you open to God's solution to your problem? Why does he ask that question? I mean, the fact you're coming for counsel, doesn't that indicate that? 
Well, the reality is this. If you, if, if you get asked that question, are you open to God's solution to your problem? And you go, well, I guess it depends on the solution. What did you just reveal? You're not really wanting the truth necessarily unless the truth is what you want it to be. You see, so it is so important that we said that, but if you say, yes, I do want God's solution, I, I might be scared of it, I, I don't know, I might need help doing it, but I, yes, I do want it. Now we have what? Obviously a heart that has some understanding and wants what? I want that knowledge. I want the truth. I'm not just gonna, gonna feed on foolishness. I want those things. Um, One of the wisest things you could ever do is to determine that you really want to know God's truth. Seems like a pretty simple thing, doesn't it? But if you would say, God, I always want to know what's true. And the best you can mean it in your heart. That's one of the wisest things you could ever do. You could settle that right here today. All right, let's look at verse 13. It says, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Go over to verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. And he's really not so much interested in bones. He's talking about what it is that holds our life together. Uh, so let's go back and, and talk about these things because there's some really big and important things here. If you can go ahead and advance that a uh, little bit, Tom, so I can see what's coming up next there. It's not Tom. <laughs> Stephen. Thank you. Very good. All right. So it says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. All right, so the condition of your heart affects what comes out on your face, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. If you have a merry heart, a happy heart, a positive heart, well, what shows up on your face? Positiveness, right? Okay, but if you have sorrow of heart, it's, it, it really does a number on you. We're gonna talk more about that. And then in verse 15, it's talking about, again, how we perceive things. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Now, for the person who is afflicted, and it's, it's a hard condition as we will see, the person who is afflicted, every day is a bad day. You ever know anybody who every day was a bad day? Have you ever found yourself struggling with that? Either, may not every day, but part of every day, or this issue every day, or whatever. Okay? So all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast, party, this is a positive thing. When you have a merry heart, life is good. And then in verse 30, the light of the eyes, talking about how we look at things. How we look at things then rejoices the heart. If, if, if it's the light and good and positive, it brings joy in our heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. But so the idea of, of how we look at things affects our heart. And it is, the condition of our heart affects how we look at things and how we look at things affects the condition of our heart. Now, that can work for you or against you, right? 
because if the condition of your heart is not where it ought to be, we get this downward cycle. But when we can make a change and change the condition of our heart, we can reverse that and begin an upward spiral. How we experience life. And so here's the point. What's going on in your heart affects the way you experience life. All right? What's going on in your heart is going to affect how you view what's happening around you and what's happening to you and how you are interpreting those things. The condition of your heart is going to affect those things. Now, look in verse 13 here again. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Really interesting. When I went and looked up the Hebrew word that's translated sorrow here, I don't think I could ask for your, your answers to this. Unless you study it, you would not come up with the right answer. The very first, most literal meaning of that word is an idol. An idol. And the idea is it came to mean sorrow because what does an idol bring to your life eventually? It brings sorrow. It brings a wound. It brings pain. That's what idols do. And he's not talking about a physical idol, right? He's talking about something else in our heart. And so what we discover here is this, this sorrow that he's talking about is probably coming from originally something in our heart, what I'm going to call an idol in our heart. Something that we have put there that has taken God's place in some part of our lives. That we've allowed to take God's place. And I envision it like this, that this idol is like a cancerous tumor that starts off in someone's body. And it's there, and for a long time, what? Nobody knows it's there. The person doesn't know it's there. Nobody knows it. Nobody's looking for it. But then at some point, that tumor grows to the point where it begins to press against a nerve. Right? All of a sudden, wait, there's starting to be some symptoms here. Or maybe it begins to block something, you know? And, and uh, heart flow or digestive system or whatever, and more and more problems come. And what we find out is that this cancerous tumor that is on the inside is creating all this pain and difficulty that we're feeling where? Out here in our bodies. And it can make you very, very sensitive then to things that are around you. Now, not, not to surprise us, if we have an idol in our hearts, that it is going to create problems, just like the cancerous tumor in the body will. Uh, scripture says in Proverbs chapter 16, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god. Same word for sorrows, by the way. When we allow an idol in our hearts, it creates just huge problems, even if it is a quote-unquote small one. Well, well, what do we mean by an idol in the heart then? What do we mean? Uh, like I said, it's not a statue or something like that that we put in our heart. An idol in our heart, let, let's, let's give an example here. Uh, think of a man who gets his job, has a job, he, he loves the job, he's doing it, and next thing you know, he's working more and more, longer hours, more consumed with the job, and so much so that he begins to set aside the legitimate needs of his family. Okay, he's working there hard there and, and maybe spending time with the people at the job, and then even maybe he starts 
missing church, or he, he, he finally stops really even focusing on his Christian life. We, we would probably be quick to say what? That job has become what to him? An idol. But what I want to say to you is I think that that's not it. There's something deeper that's in the heart. The job is the symptom. And, and what could be going on in this man's heart is that he, something has happened to him in his life to where he, he says, I, you know, I want to feel important. I want to feel like I am of value. I want to feel like I matter, like I am significant. And maybe things happen in his life that when he was young that made him not feel that way. And he says at some point, you know what, I am never going to feel that way again. I am going to prove that I am significant. And this job comes along and does what? provides the opportunity for him to worship the idol that's in his heart. And so it can be for all of us, you know, maybe security, you feel this overwhelming need for security and you start to make decisions, you know, uh, I will never let myself be in a position again where I feel that way. And I, we say these things, we aren't always conscious of it, but we do it. You know, uh, my fears, um, I wrote down a couple other things here, I think. Oh, yeah, so our, our fears. Uh, here's going to go, how people see me. You know, I'm, I am never going to be one of those kinds of people. And for some reason in your mind, you know, whether you're growing up experiences or, or later and something happened and you saw things and people and you, and you thought, oh, boy, I don't ever want to be perceived that way. And so it changes how you dress, how you talk, how you act, where you go, what you do. And what you discover is that this is beginning to govern your life instead of letting God govern your life. Is this making sense? Okay, and so these things, this need for security or significance or your fears or, or comparing yourself to others or pride, whatever it is, we set up as an idol in our heart. And this could be in one small area of our lives or it could be a bunch of areas of our lives but it does affect us. And so like I said, the outward expression of these things are all just ways that we worship that idol in our hearts. Now, when we harbor an idol in our hearts, we are much more susceptible to being wounded. Okay, let me give you an example. Let's go back and talk about this man who wants to feel so significant. Does anything in life ever tell you you're not as significant as you think? Do other people ever let you know you're not as significant as you think? Messages, all sorts of messages and responses, and those things come into your life. Well, if that idol is set up in your heart and it's, it's, it's wounding you from the inside, it makes you very sensitive to anything that would come from the outside. And so you become wounded more. And what do you do? Reinforce the idol, which creates bigger problems, makes you more susceptible to being wounded, wounded again. Do you see how your heart gets in a really bad place? Okay, so it uh, makes us much more susceptible to being wounded. And a wounded heart always causes ongoing difficulties. Look here in verse 13 again. So a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow, this, this heart that is wounded because of an idol in the heart, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. 
The spirit is broken. That's a big, big thing. And I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. Look in verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he is of a merry heart. So we're contrasting the heart again, right? A heart that is afflicted versus a heart that is merry. Uh, This word afflicted, uh, where did I write that down here? Oh, that's right. Before I say that, if you have an afflicted heart, it robs you of the ability to find both happiness and joy that you should normally find in life. There are lots of things in life that should bring us, some of them are small things, but bring us some happiness and some joy. But when your heart is afflicted, what's it say? All the days of the afflicted are evil. When your heart is afflicted, everything's evil. That's how you see it all. And so that prevents you from getting joy the way God intends for you to be able to get joy from life. The word, the Hebrew word translated afflicted here literally means depressed in mind or circumstances. Depressed. Now, an inner depression colors how you see life, doesn't it? Are you with me on that? This inner depression colors how you view life and what happens to you and how you interpret what's going on. Uh, And the reality is, is when we get to that point, we become resistant to truths that someone would tell us about ourselves that help solve the problem. We become resistant to that. No, 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 I know that's not true. I know it's like this. How do you know it's like this? Well, I just know it. The reality is because you have this under the surface depression that's pulling you down. It's like a low-grade fever that just keeps hanging around. Right? You ever had, maybe you or your kids just had a low-grade fever and they had it for several days and you couldn't figure out how to, that's what this low-grade depression we're talking about. I'm not talking about uh, technically uh, depression in that sense, a clinical depression. I'm just talking about how we get to where we're looking at life. Oh, it could be a part of uh, that clinical depression. Now, so the idea here is that we don't see things. When our hearts get messed up, it creates greater problems. Uh, We don't see things accurately anymore. We we don't see them the way they are. We have this low-grade depression going on. And then verse 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. We don't have the light in our eyes anymore. We got a low-grade depression anymore. So we don't get rejoicing in our heart. A good report, ha, what's that? You bring me a good report, I don't believe it. You see how this works? And so you miss out on helping your heart become more healthy. Now contrast this with the, the second part in verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast, an ongoing party. All right, our daughter Amber, who is uh, currently in Spain uh, doing missions work for a couple years there, but um, she had a way of making her birthdays last for days, sometimes weeks. 
because she would plan and say, oh, mom, da-da-da, you know, okay, can we go out and go shopping for my birthday to get ready for my birthday? And then my birthday's coming on my birthday. Could I maybe have these people over or do that? And then you know what? Because uh, we can't do it all in one day. How about then on Friday night we, we do this? And then next week we can go to Boston. And <laughs> she stretched her birthdays out. We used to, it became a standing joke in our family. And Amber, if you're listening, we love you. Um, it, but it gets stretched out, and that's what this word continual means. And so when our hearts are in a good place, when we've you know, removed those idols, we're addressing them with God, and, and we're able then to start to see life differently and start to see a good report as a good report, starting to be able to see the things in life that actually are good as good. The idea is that starts to stretch out farther and farther and longer and longer. Isn't that the way you want it to live? Don't you want it always? Well, if you like your birthday, don't you always want it to be your birthday? I mean, and so that's the positive side of this when our hearts are in a good place. Now, it's worth understanding something here. We said what's going on in your heart affects the way you experience life. But the second thought is this. How you're experiencing life will reveal the condition of your heart. Now, are you struggling with these very kinds of things we're talking about? You can't seem to get over stuff. It just keeps coming up. And, and you, yeah, you can't get away from it. You can't fix it. It very well may be that you have this sorrow of heart that comes from harboring some idol in your heart that you might not even be aware of. I would say if you, if you find yourself continually seeing things negatively, and especially if you are resistant, if you are resistant to anybody who wants to tell you something different than what you're feeling and thinking and believing, and you're resistant to it, that ought to be signs that you have this wounded heart. And a wounded heart that is left untended infects the spirit, and the wound grows. Proverbs 18, it says, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? And then in verse 13, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Who can bear a broken? You can't. It is crucial that we deal with the condition of our heart. So how do we fix this? What do we need to do? I mean, I bet you've already tried. Well, there's one more verse here in chapter 15 that I think is helpful. Remember we said wisdom is a heart issue, not just a mind issue? Wisdom is a heart issue. Secondly, uh, this, the condition of your heart reveals a lot about where you're at. But finally, verse number 11 here says, hell and destruction are before the Lord. Wait, what's that gonna do? Well, hell and destruction, it's talking about hell. The, anybody seen hell lately? You may feel, you feel like you've experienced it, but I mean, the point is you, you don't see it. Hell and destruction. Those things are remote. Those are way far away. Does God know them? Does God know all about that stuff? He knows all about that stuff. He knows all the details. And he says, okay, if he knows about that stuff that's way out there somewhere that you can't see and you can't touch and you can't experience, so how much more the hearts of the sons of men? Here you are right in front of him. Does he know your heart? Does he know your heart? 
Yeah. God knows your heart. And so you've got these things that are showing you that I got some heart trouble here. This is affecting me. It's, it's not good. God knows your heart. Psalm 44 says, Would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows things you don't even know about your own heart. Sometimes we're very aware that we have an idol in our heart. Other times we aren't aware. But God sees and knows. You know, when I have broken my iPhone, which has happened on more than one occasion, or has had problems, I don't take it to my auto mechanic. He's a great guy. He really is. Does a great job with my car. But I don't take my iPhone there. Uh, I don't even venture usually to try to fix it myself. That's a bad idea. Um, I take it to iPhone 911 on Route 20 in Auburn. And I take it in there, and every time I take it, I've been there by four different times. Within about 20 minutes, I leave with an iPhone that's fixed. And, and all, I mean, and how, why is that? It's because they what? They know how this works. They know what to look for. They know how to fix all those kinds of things. Well, why is it then when you and I have this heart problems that we start looking to people to be our fix? Or we start looking to stuff to be our fix or change our circumstances to be our fix when God is the one who knows? He's the one who can fix the heart. And it may not be 20-minute fix, like iPhone 911. In fact, when you give your heart to God about this, it, it may very well be that he begins the process. He says, oh, yeah, I know. I've been waiting, and you have this problem. So and it's going to take some time. We're going to really, in fact, we're working on the whole thing, not just this little thing you're worried about. And so what do you do today? I would say you, you, what we want to do today is, is to take our hearts and visualize and say, okay, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. I, I don't know what to do with it anymore. I, I don't know how to fix this problem. And, and either you say, I know I got an idol there, or you say, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know what's going on. But God, you know. And so I give you my heart, and, and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Show me, teach me. Fix my heart. And God will take that heart from you, and he will be tender and gentle with it, and he will stop the bleeding and, and begin to heal the wounds. And then he's going to do something like this. He may do this if this is the case. He may say, oh, let me, can I show you something? See this here? That's an idol that you've allowed in your heart. Do I have permission to take it out? Because he gave you the choice. Do I have permission to take it out? And you need to say what? Yes, please. And that process of removing that idol may be hard. And it may take time, but it will bring healing to you. I... Uh, Many, many years ago now, uh, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, um, I discovered that I had a couple big idols in my heart. 
because I came to this point and, and had to say, God, here I am. What do I need to do? I'm yours. What, and, and I didn't have quite this picture of the idol in my heart, but I can see it now. I had two big idols in my heart. One was very much like the man I talked about with his job. I had to be significant. I wanted to be significant. Nothing wrong with wanting to be significant. But I set an idol up that I was going to do whatever it took to be significant. Now, I didn't intend to sin. I didn't, but the point is, I went about setting up my own importance by working hard and, and earning people's approval and the pats on the back and all of that kind of stuff. And that's an idol because I am significant because God said so. I don't have to be driven like that. And I was driven. And so God had to bring me to a place where he said, it's not going to work anymore. You're not going to be able to prove your significance. You're going to, and boy, that was a mess for me. And so God dealt with that one. And, and it's, it's still something that, that shows up from time to time. But overall, it's like, man, I don't have to, I don't have to be driven to prove that I matter, that I, have, that I have important things, that I'm valuable, right? It's because God has always settled that for me. Boy, that frees you up with people. The second thing was this. There were people that I had not forgiven. And I thought that I had forgiven. I would have told you that I had forgiven them. But really all I had ever done is here was their offense that hurt, it wasn't right, all that kind of stuff. And I just took it and set it up on the shelf out of the way and went on. And when God brought me this point and showed me this, what he showed me was that I was hanging on to these things because you know what? I just might need that to protect myself. Right? When somebody, I could say, well, look at this. <laughs> I thought you forgave him. No, I just put it on the shelf. And so but he said, you need to let that go. You, you need to let me take care of that. Don't say, I'm going to make sure that I can. No, let it go, and I'm sure I still keep finding idols in my heart, and God works. And, but I just want to tell you that it's worth giving your heart to God. It's worth it. It might be painful, but it's a lot less painful than letting that cancerous tumor continue to grow. And you may need to get help from people. You know, because sometimes it's hard to navigate these things on our own. We'd be glad to help you with that. It may be that today your solution is to receive Christ as Savior. And you've never done that. We'd like to help you with that as well. So please talk to us about your questions on that. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today. And I think it would be very fitting for you to, as you partake of the Lord's Supper, say, oh God, you did this for me. I give you my heart. Do what needs to be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you tell us these important, important things in your word. Uh, you've revealed to us how important the condition of our hearts are and how many problems we can have there and how you are the solution. You know our hearts. You know what needs to happen. I pray today, Father, where the life's going really good for us, or maybe it's not and we're in desperate need, Lord, either way that all of us would once again or for the first time say, here's my heart, Father. Do your work in me.
And I pray as we partake of the Lord's Supper together that you would encourage us what you've already shown to us about our value to you. And that we can trust you with our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.